ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Health. New research has revealed that young adults are the fastest growing group gaining weight in Australia. Particularly concerning is the period after leaving school where weight gain is most prevalent. Research indicates that men uh, obese at 25 may see an eight-year decrease in life expectancy while women could face a reduction of six years. Experts predicted a staggering 80% of 18 to 30-year-olds will be overweight by 2038. It's an extraordinary figure. It's prompted refreshed calls for the introduction of a sugar tax as major health organisations advocate for a 20% health levy on sugary drinks. Joining us to discuss this alarming projection and the potential impact of a proposed sugar levy is Nick Fuller. Nick's a leading obesity researcher from the University of Sydney's Charles Perkins Centre. Nick, good evening to you. Welcome to Nightlife. G'day, Phil. Thanks very much for having me on. Why Why are young adults getting fatter so, so quickly? I mean, no one can be unaware of messages in and around uh, too much sugar is bad for you, surely? Well... When it comes to obesity, it's certainly a complex piece of science. Uh, But simply put, to to answer your question, I I guess it comes down to two main reasons. And the first one is that we have uh, a modern-day environment that has our favourite foods on every corner of every block. These are foods that contain the added sugars that you're mentioning, uh, the added fats, uh, they're very high in calories and very low in nutrition. So they give us that high that we're looking for at the time of consumption, um, but they don't do much for us other than that. Now, we tend to have that guilt feeling afterwards, but because of that feel-good chemical release that we're getting every time we eat them, we keep going back for Well, them. what are you have- talking about here, though, Nick? Because, as I said, I mean, one of the other things that surely people are not unaware of, I mean, particularly young people are just out of school, can't be unaware of of uh, issues in and around what's healthy to eat and what's not. I mean, everybody knows eating a takeaway hamburger is not good for you. Yeah, you're exactly right. And that comes down to, I guess, that point that I'm making where it's very hard to say no to these favourite foods in the modern day environment. Hmm. Um, and we keep going back for them. They're, what do you mean? Coming... You mean sh- chips and, um, and, and uh, the popular soft drink? Yeah, anything that's, anything that's I guess, processed. And, and processed might mean it's a fast food restaurant. It could be a food coming out of the, the vending machine in the afternoon when you're, you're looking for a, a sugar or a high-fat snack, um, or it could be the local corner store. A lot of the foods, discretionary foods, foods that um, we're reaching for are most of the time, those, those processed and packaged and fast foods are making up the majority of our diets. And they've become the everyday occurrence, not the once-a-week um, treat food. So this is where a large part of, I guess, um, the education is missing, which is something else that you mentioned. Sure, we know what is healthy, but we've got to, as a population, you know, shift our thinking and retrain our back brain back to nature's treats. We always sought out this high, and we used to get this high from foods naturally found in the environment. So mm-hmm. our ancestors, tens of thousands of years ago, still um, were, were looking for these foods high in sugar and high in fat, but they were... Your, your, your berries, your papaya, your, your, um, your honey. So the natural sweets and the natural fats. So, yeah, sure, it's one thing to, for, for us to say, more. Well, yeah, the population know what to do. They know what's healthy, what's unhealthy. 
but when it comes down to it, um, it it's a very, very mm. hard environment to navigate. It's hard to say no to these favorite foods. Now, then the second part of the answer to your question is we lead our, well, I guess our health is down, put down the bottom of the priority um, when it comes to the day-to-day lives. And we let our health, I guess, go by the wayside. Our weight starts to creep up. Our waistline grows. And then we react to that problem and we react through dieting. And there's some very, very good science and research to show that's come out to show that dieting is doing nothing except accelerate the weight problem you have. And this starts in a young age. And unfortunately, we get stuck in this yo-yo dieting cycle, unfairly targeted often by the dieting Mm. Um, let's, yeah, let's talk about dieting in a moment. I want to talk about that, but uh, but I'm just I'm I'm still trying to get back to this issue of why people deliberately seem to choose uh, it, uh, because I mean it's not as though these foods are new. We've always eaten sugar. I mean, if you you know uh, history, any history of the 19th century would say, would show you that people craved sugar then as they, as they do now. Maybe it's more available now. Uh, I'm not sure about that uh, because. But then obesity in the kind of form that we see it now was, you know, was nothing like it is today. So are you saying that, that people today are eating things but because they don't know how to eat anything else or that they don't know what else they could eat? I mean, in other words, are people eating pizza every day because they don't know what else there is? Because surely that can't be. No, no, it's, it's, it's I guess, what I'm saying. It's, it's the fact that they're available on every corner of every block. We are saturated with these fast foods, processed mm. foods in the modern day environment, they make us feel good at the time of consumption. They release these feel good chemicals and a, and a particular chemical called, called dopamine. Now dopamine is the learning chemical. So what that means is next time you walk past that bakery, Bill, you will um, remember the smell and the, the sight and the taste of that bakery treat. And you will go back and get that high that you're looking for. And that's through the consumption of that bakery treat in this instance. But it could also be the pizza or any other fast food that we're referring to. So we keep going back to these foods because they make us feel good. And like you said as well, they're more available. Um, We do find these on every corner of every block. Tens of thousands of years ago, sure, we still sort out foods high in sugar and high in fat. But again, remember these highs were coming from foods naturally found in the environment. So we've got to retrain our brain, rethink the way we look at food and still give ourselves the high we're looking for, but get that from nature's treats. Um, mm. well, what, what, so what are you talking about here? You're talking about, I mean, sugar's a natural food. Yeah, sugar, absolutely. Fruit is a, is a fantastic example of a nature's treat. Yeah. It contains naturally occurring sugars. Berries, papaya, all these foods that are naturally found in the environment are the ones we should be getting the high from. When it comes to fats, um, your nuts and seeds are, are a good example. The avocado, all of those foods, again, are naturally high in fat and not foods we should be avoiding or fearing because of the F word fat and what the dieting industry make us believe is the wrong food to be putting into our body. We should be putting these or ha- having more of these foods to get that high we're looking for. Then we're less likely to be looking for that high from the fast food and the processed foods that are up are available in every corner. Mm. We've got to satisfy the high, but we've got to do it in the right way. Uh, I'm talking to Nick Fuller. He's an obesity researcher from the University of Sydney's Charles Perkins Centre. We're talking about these alarming predictions of the staggering 80% of 18 to 30-year-olds will be overweight by 2038.
which we'll see. Well, you can always draw a line, can't you? There's a direct re- reduction in life expectancy if you are obese at at, uh, at 30, isn't there? Absolutely. I mean, this, this data will vary um, enormously, I guess, taking into consideration what BMI or class of overweight or obesity we're referring to. But there's some data show that if you have a BMI um, of, of 40 and above, it can actually reduce your life expectancy by 14 years. Hmm. But that's a huge amount. Uh, because with excess body weight, it, there is often, I guess, a, a range or plethora of other health conditions and diseases that can develop. And what we refer to these as metabolic diseases like type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, um, which are often shortening our lifespan or reducing our quality of life. So, yes, carrying excess weight can um, definitely reduce your lifespan. Mm. Do you think, the, the, I mean, this idea of a sugar tax has been around for a while. No government seems to be all that keen on it. Uh, just as a researcher into whether it would likely likely be effective or not, uh, I mean, is there any, are there any numbers around this? I mean, it was you, the UK brought it in in 2018, didn't they? I mean, what, what what's the evidence from there? Yeah, I think the UK, it's been around now for be the sixth year, five or six years. Mm. Now, there's two things we know from this and there's other countries that have introduced a sugar tax like Mexico, many others as well. One is that it does appear to uh, force the food manufacturers to reformulate um, the beverage in this in, in instance and, and reduce the amount of sugar they're putting into, for example, the soft drink. Uh, so over time that can reduce the quantity of sugar you're getting or added sugars you're getting from from soft drink consumption. Uh, but then the second thing is that when we look at the data from any country that's implemented, for example, a sugar mm. tax, mm. these are association studies. You can't say one thing caused um, another. What you can say is that a sugar tax was introduced in the UK in 2018. And what happened? And over that time, we can say from an association point of view that there was a reduction in the number of uh, cases of childhood obesity. So again, uh, how, how big a reduction? How, how, how big a reduction? Oh, well, the numbers are, you know, vary again, depending hmm. on what sort of gender and, and, and age group you're specifically looking at. But again, it's, it's sort of just Saying that one thing is associated. With no, 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 no. I agree, but I mean, but it's been. But I mean, you know, half of one percent is is a reduction, but it's not a very significant one. I mean, is it was it was it significant at all? Uh, in, they've shown that in in older um, teenage girls, it's significant, but no, none of the other groups so far that it was uh, particularly significant. That's right. I mean, this right. is because this is this is the argument, isn't it? You mean if you put sugar tax on that, it's not necessarily going to work because all, all it will mean is that people will, will seek their sugar elsewhere. Which, Potentially, that's right. Which is probably uh, what they're doing. But there's, a, a, again, a range or a plethora of other things we need to consider. Um, mm. We don't just consume soft drinks because, again, they taste good or they give us that high we're looking for. Um, kids like them, want them, nag their parents for them because they see them advertised on TV. Mm. And, again, when we go into the supermarket, where are they? They're at eye level right in front of us the minute we walk into that supermarket. So, 
it's it's that holistic education that we need to focus on, not just get hooked on one particular thing. In this instance that we're talking about a sugar Can tax. you think of an example of a food where this has worked? Uh, I mean, I can't think of one. I'm trying to think, you know, where a high fat, high salt, high sugar uh, food has been around and pe- which, which people like. Where a campaign to say eat or drink less of this has made people do so because you know the problem we're talking about right now indicates that all of this education we've had now for you know ten or twenty years, you you say according to the figures hasn't had any effect at all. Well, I mean, ever since the the rise or exponential increase in in the obesity epidemic, hmm. um, you know, can be sort of pinpointed around that seventy. 1970s, 1980s, potentially even early 1950s. But since that time, we've seen the boom of the dieting industry. These are the, I guess, <laughs> companies that are pushing out the low fat, the low carb, et cetera, foods. But that has only contributed the, to the dieting epidemic, oh, sorry, the obesity epidemic that we see today. So if anything, this, this movement or, I guess, obsession with particular foods, food groups, low fat, high protein, um, high fat, um, it, it's not the answer. And that, again, is because obesity is a co- complex science. It, when we go to lose weight, our body works in weird and wonderful ways to take us back to to our start point or our set point. So we can't just be fixating on eat less, move more, or drink less soft drink and everything will be okay. Well, in essence, that is that is it, though, isn't it? <laughs> if, you, if you eat, no, le- if you eat, hang on, if you eat less and move more, then that's the way forward. Surely there isn't any other way forward, is there? I mean, you've got to eat less <laughs> if you're overweight. Unfortunately, to to I guess um, discuss what it looks like from a, a physiological point of view, it's mm. not the answer, Phil. What happens is, well, what do you say the answer is? Then? When you start to eat less and move more and you deprive yourself of calories, your body goes into shutdown mode. Hmm. It starts to work differently. Okay. So, okay. So what, what do you say is the answer then? So what, what, when we research this within our participants, uh, we see their metabolisms going down. We see their appetite hormones going up, telling them to eat more. We see their thyroid function suppressed, meaning they burn less calories at rest. There's a whole cascade of reactions that start to take place within their body the minute they're losing weight, We're, there's no questioning that people can lose weight with weight loss programs and diets and, and pills and et cetera. But what we're not talking about and what we're not addressing is the long-term pain when people are putting that weight back on, but not just the weight they lost, they're putting on the plus GST. Hmm. And that's because our body is very clever. No, I get, I, I get that. I understand that. And I think people, when we're discussing diets, understand that there's a yo-yo nature to them. But what, if you're saying eating less is not a way forward, what do you say the way forward is? Well, the other thing we look at is is how to, I guess, switch off this physiology um, so that we can prevent that weight regain that comes with diets. We've got to switch off our biology because unfortunately it's working against us. It's protecting us against um, weight loss and it's and, and, and sending us back to our start point. A, a very, um, I guess, well, firstly, what people should be doing when it comes to weight loss and first, and, and, and I guess trying to do something about their waistline is follow evidence-based lifestyle interventions. We know they work, but the reason why we're, we're well, I guess, staying away from them or not going back to them or saying we've tried it and, and it doesn't work is because we've been failing 
due to the fad diets, the social media sensations, the big name celebrities pushing their diets onto their mass followings. Um, you've got to be listening and following advice from healthcare professionals that have studied the science of obesity. Now, it's very there's some very promising um, uh, research showing that you know we we can actually switch off our bio biology um, and. Our research at the University of Sydney is looking at, you know, long-term lifestyle interventions. We're shown with an interval weight loss approach, you can actually lose weight in small intervals every second month and prevent that, uh, that cascade of physiological responses that typically take place. So what that visually looks like um, would be a couple of kilos of weight loss, followed by a weight maintenance period, followed by another weight loss period, followed by weight maintenance. So it's a step-down approach. Whereas typically we lose weight continuously and we get that U or V-shaped response. So what we're doing with this is getting people to lose weight in small, gradual intervals every second month to prevent the body's usual response to weight loss. But more importantly, equipping them with the information around or education around nutrition, um, exercise and sleep, the three key pillars of health, to help them form habits that last a lifetime. Because again, what we're doing is we, we adopt this all or nothing approach. You can do anything drastic for four, eight, 12 weeks, but then you go back to your old ways, you reintroduce the, re, the old habits. And unfortunately, it's another reason why um, you, you do see that weight regain. Okay. Yes. All right, Nick, it's been uh, good to talk with you. And, um, and the University of uh, Sydney's Charles Perkins Centre do a lot of great work. Thanks for, thanks for your time. Always good to talk. Thanks, Phil, for having me on. You've been listening to a Nightlife podcast. For more great conversations about the issues that impact you, as well as features on travel and food, head to the Nightlife webpage. You'll find it at abc.net.au slash nightlife. You don't need to be a night owl to enjoy the nightlife.